We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded as the first storytellers, the first communities and the first creators of Australian culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 4 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. In this episode, Nicole Eady is speaking with Registered Architect and Associate at Austin Maynard Architects, Ray Din. Austin Maynard Architects won Design's 2022 Architecture Studio of the Year globally, with the jury noting that, quote, a lot of interesting residential architecture is coming out of Australia at the moment, and Austin Maynard Architects is a leader in this field. The firm has developed an impressive and diverse portfolio of houses at different scales, all of which have a strong sense of identity, end quote. Now, for anyone who has worked in award-winning practices, there are often a lot of late nights to achieve their impressive outcomes. But Austin Maynard Architects makes work-life balance a priority and have an office structure that breaks down some of the standard ways that practices operate. Sounds like a great system for lowering stress and allowing staff to get their work done. Let's jump in. Hi there, I'm Nicole Eady. I'm one of the associate producers of the Hearing Architecture podcast for Imagine. And I'm here today with Ray Ding from Austin Maynard Architects. Uh, Ray, did you want to just give us a quick rundown on your career so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for having me on, Nicole. Very You're excited welcome. to be here. <laughs> so my career and where I've started uh, is, as you can probably hear, I am not Australian born. <laughs> so I came here from Ireland. Um, I went to uni, grew up, went to uni and graduated over there. Um, I, I feel quite lucky to have um, ended up in architecture. I started off, uh, I grew up in a social housing state in Dublin um, and it was kind of my high school teachers that pushed me towards architecture at the time. I had no links or anything whatsoever, no idea what an architect did um, and yeah I kind of found myself in that career path. So I graduated um, from University College Dublin in 2012 and moved to New York um, for a, a graduate year kind of um, escaping post-GFC Dublin. Mm -hmm. And then in 2013, I moved to Melbourne after being here uh, a couple of times previously. And I've been here since, so the last 10 years or so now. Beautiful. Um, so one of the reasons we wanted to get you on the podcast today was, I suppose, to talk about office culture particularly. Mm. Um, there's so many different types and varieties of architecture um, studios and Austin Maynard in particular has a really excellent reputation for office and workplace culture. Um, so did you want to talk about why you think that might be, whether the perception is real or imagined, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and just your experiences working there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure about the the reputation or where it's come from. It's, uh, you know, mm. quite a small team and we've always been so I've been at Austin Maynard for nine years now, and we've been kind of six to 10 people for that whole time. I think the the reputation within the, the architectural community really stems from Andrew's um, kind of uh, external communication on the subject, uh, mainly with his 
2012 work-life balance essay, uh, I think, um, originally on Parler and kind of did the rounds on Art Daily. And that's where I first came across Austin Maynard when I was um, living in New York. Um, and yeah, Andrew's kind of frank uh, discussion specifically about work-life balance uh, kicked it off. And then more recently, I think the, um, the YouTube videos that he does with Archie Marathon with Kevin Huey mm-hmm. uh, gives, a, gives a perspective on architecture in general, but lots of insights into you know, our, our working lives at Austin Maynard, the work we do, the kind of, you get a sense of, um, of the culture, the office in a way too. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of the, the external communication of it. But I would say it is real. Um, the, mm. the nine to five work life that, um, that Andrew mentions in that essay, uh, it, that is something that you know, we, we, we strive for, it's protected, it's, it's important. And it's something that, um, yeah, it's kind of led from Andrew and Mark, the two directors themselves. Yeah, so um, correct me if I'm wrong, but your first job was, was with Austin Maynard, is that right? Uh, so uh, my, my first job um, in New York was a small practice. And then I came to okay. Melbourne and worked at uh, another small firm called Coyantis for a few mm-hmm. months. And then I had been at Austin Maynard since. So I kind of started from graduate um, the whole mm-hmm. way through to, to getting registered promote to associate and yeah where yeah. I am now wonderful so from your experience do you think that nine to five uh sort of approach to office culture is unique to Austin Maynard or is it something that you've experienced elsewhere and you've been really fortunate or um what's your sort of perceptions around that um I'd say a bit of its typology and is definitely Austin Maynard or um dependent on whatever specific firm you're in mm. Uh, I'm lucky enough that the firms that I've worked for, um, Coyantis before, has been uh, similar. Again, I was only there for a short while. Um, and in New York, uh, I was at a place called Michael Schmidt Architect, which was husband and wife. And it was, the hours were a bit longer, um, yeah. a little bit longer, but it was still generally Monday to Friday, you know, nine to six or seven and weekends off. But I do have friends who work in different firms you know larger commercial firms um, and there's some kind of horror stories of weekends like real late nights and um yeah so I, I kind of I feel like the nine to five it, it's uh lucky that that's the situation because I know it's not like that for everyone yeah so do you think it's the scale of projects in terms of residential that really lends itself to that approach a little bit I'd say a little bit of the scale of residential itself um partly because you're kind of setting the deadline with the residential Mm -hmm. clients you know they're kind of looking for you for guidance on how on how these projects work um and then also to do with the leadership the you know the director in in the firm you know if there's a culture of staying back late or you know working weekends even if it's in a residential firm, you could still end up as part of that culture, I think. Yeah, yeah. So when you were at university, did you have a sort of 24-hour culture there? And did that? Uh, yeah, 
you have a nine to five sort of approach and that's translated into your work life or no definitely definitely not nine to five okay. I, wish, <laughs> I, I wish I was that mature and organized at the time yeah. <laughs> I feel like um, my my personal habits have, have really shifted since I was at uni uh, so mm. you know uh, I'm a lot more of an early bird these days um up early kind of finish early but at university um we we didn't have 24-hour studios Mm-hmm. Um, but we were very lucky to have an actual studio. So each year, each year group would have its own space. Um, mm-hmm. And there would be 60 of us in working in an architecture studio. We'd all have our own desks, our own lockers, our own kind of uh, kitchenette and all that. And we'd spend most of the day there. I say most of the day, we might roll in at 10 or 11 in the morning. And, you know, but we'd stay there, have dinner together and they'd kick us out at 10 o'clock. And mm. there was a handful of all-nighters in the um, in the uni days, but not not too many. Yeah. Okay. So, do you find it um, quite easy, I suppose, to focus on time management and things like that now, being in a more structured practice compared to the sort of haphazard environment that uni provides? I think it's. Um, I do find it a lot easier now. I find it easier. It's because it's something that I've worked on over time. I've tried to um, be a bit more attuned to time management, and I've also had to um, had to accept that reality. Mm. Uh, you know, having having deadlines, having um, limits, having constraints. It's something that I've found beneficial. You know, if if I had sixty hours in a week to do the same amount of work might take me 60 hours to be honest <laughs> mm-hmm. but um and, and when I started at Austin Maynard there was uh even doing smaller things like dra- drafting up existing conditions I think early on I hadn't finished the task during the week and then I took it home and finished it on the weekend and then came back in and there was like where did, where did this come from you weren't finished this on Friday <laughs> I kind of you know, had to shyly explain. Oh well, I, you know, I just want to get it done, and I was I was told off, and that was a really um, really nice way of setting the tone. It was it was a a message of we don't do this here, um, and quite early on, it was um, hearing like from my bosses that if I'm um, if I feel the need to do work in my own personal time, if you know if I'm not managing my time and it's spilling over into spare mm-hmm. time, that that's a failure of management. And that was the perspective of Andrew and Mark, which I thought was very generous. And yeah, it was, it was a great perspective to kind of get me into gear and, and give me a bit of a reset. I think that's really interesting what you just said there, because I do remember as a graduate really feeling that guilt of um, not necessarily knowing how to do everything yet or having yeah. the expectation that you came out of uni and you knew how to do every task that was going to be put in front of you mm. um, and then, you know, oh, yeah, making that sort of conscious effort to make up for it in hours where you weren't being observed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what you said there as well, like the guilt, I remember feeling that too I feel like oh I should be I should be faster at this I should be better at this you know I'll I'll make it up I'll make up the time elsewhere and, and get better but yeah mm. it's, it's good having somebody who's kind of invested um or empathetic to a more 
a more balanced life and to know like that that's you know not the way to do it yeah kind of need to be told well I I needed to be told I personally needed to be told I kind of you know kept hammering at it and until I was told not to (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh It's super interesting because I think it happens to everybody and often there isn't that person in management standing there and saying, no, you shouldn't do this or, Mm. um, you know, giving you that guidance to a better work-life balance. Um, You know, the Institute's been obviously working with Parla and others in the university space and the like, uh, doing that research around mental health within Mm. architecture. Um, And the resounding feedback that we're getting from research like that is that we're not really handling it very well and that transition from university to a work environment is quite detrimental because of the late hours that you're developing yeah you know yeah. Uh, as an example for you moving forward so mm. it's kind of celebrated a little bit as, as well it's you know the kind of martyr or um, the all-nighter culture just doing more and more and more mm. um but yeah I think it seems to be um, a bit more focused now on, on on calling it out, you know, having a bit yeah. of balance and questioning what you're doing with mm-hmm. your life. So, Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of had a bit of a structure to how we were going to talk about this, but there was something that you'd mentioned in um, our discussions before in mm-hmm. that you have some graduates with actually within your office through the Archie Marathon sort of co-space. Oh, um, yes, yes. How do you sort of see them at the moment in terms of, you know, either giving inspiration to the office itself and then also potentially providing them a good example of how that work-life balance can actually look when you move into an office environment? Yeah, well, I think it's good. Um, so to, um, I suppose, to catch up on what we talked about before, we're, we have an office uh, at the edge of the CBD, kind of across from RMIT Design Hub. Mm-hmm. And we're on the first level of an old brick building. The back half of that level is Austin Maynard Architects. And the front half is Archie Marathon, which is um, kind of a shared studio space for students. Um, with the idea being that it's encouraging uh, um, th- that studio culture again, having a dedicated space for students from different universities who can kind of come together and work there. Um, and so there's a little bit of crossover and that was the intent of between Austin Maynard and Archie Marathon. So um, the key thing being the coffee machine. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, the coffee machine for, um, we share one and it's in Archie Marathon space. So every day, you know, in the morning and afternoon, we kind of come across and there's a little bit of cross-pollination there, just saying hello and some chats. Um, but there's also uh, a little bit of a link where we've had, people from the Archie Marathon studio come out to some of our site visits because they're interested to see uh, see houses under construction but don't necessarily have access to be able to visit site and see what builders are doing and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And then we also have um, some of our in-house meetings we'll often do in the Archie Marathon space. And mm-hmm. just, to, just to give the students who happen to be working there at the time a little bit of a, um, you know, an insight into how a sketch design presentation goes or, you know, what a meeting with an engineer sounds like. And there's been a couple of times where, you know, you'll, you'll see the Archie Martin Studios kind of 
uh, students move to the table a little bit closer and just to be able to get a, a better ear in. Um, yeah. And then visually as well with the studio, it's just a couple of uh, four big glass sliders in between. And the students who are there working, you know, they might roll in a little bit later and be there a little bit later in the evening, but, you know, kind of 5.30, they'll see the lights go off and everybody just leave the office and they'll see that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's it's good to, to see that and to see that that's how it works too. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I love it. Um, I love having the students there as well because you kind of, energized by seeing them pin up their work and working mm -hmm. on physical models and just talking about drawings and kind of getting into it with Kevin as well so um I like to kind of bounce back between the two yeah no that's really great and um I suppose from your perspective have you you know gotten involved in the university or any of those kind of areas or is your main sort of outlet for mentoring your own staff and the Archie Marathon um, so a, a little bit. Um, I was, in terms of mentoring, I was involved in on the Imagine Committee for a couple of years mm -hmm. um, and in the AIA Constructive Mentoring um, Program too. So I did a couple of years as a mentor there. And then at university, um, the year before last, I was at Monash uh, Tutoring Professional Practice. And yeah, wonderful. A, yeah, that was, that was really enjoyable. Um, and then with the Archie Marathon students, uh, I've, you know, I would chat to them a fair bit and, you know, have a few of them through some of the houses I've been working on and show mm. them through some of the documentation. Um, one of the guy, James, uh, he, he was working on a professional practice, um, you know, uh, assignment and just had a few questions. We were just spent half an hour talking through the client architect agreement and just having a mm -hmm. bit of a chat. So yeah, a little bit. I, I, I'm, a, I'm quite happy to uh, chat to people when they're, when they're there. Yeah. But it's all, it's all very informal. It's all yeah. very like, you know, drop by the desk and say hello. And I think it's important as well to have those sorts of informal mentoring opportunities where they're not necessarily a formalized arrangement where you're going and sitting with a person once a week you know to talk through goals but having yeah. exposure and opportunity to speak to somebody in passing like you have with your relationship between Archie Marathon and Austin Maynard really um, facilitates an environment for people to grow um, mm. and have a safe space to ask questions I suppose. I think so I think as well there's um there is an opportunity for a bit more of the formal mentoring mm. I know that personally uh, I'm I'm just not really uh, confident to to reach out to someone I admire okay. and just be like, "Will you be my mentor, please?" Yeah. <laughs> I have some really good questions for you. But my my wife's a lawyer, and it's it's so common. It is so common yes. to catch up like coffees all the time. You know, moving into mm -hmm. a new role to reach out to people who are in that role and discuss with them to 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 keep in touch with. Um, like senior people who you've worked with on other projects in the past mm -hmm. and to, to kind of encourage um, a mentoring role and to, to know it as a literally as a formal mentoring role, whereas it doesn't seem as commonplace in architecture. Um, mm. But I don't know, maybe it's 
specifically residential or the kind of firms you're in but I know it hasn't been for me it's tend, no, has tended to be informal I think you're right I think there are firms that do that do it um, mm. I know Parler and the ACA they've just done a um, a series a stepping up series where they yeah, talked about right. mentoring um, and there was a couple of examples in there of firms that were doing it really well but oh. again they were outliers they weren't yeah really um it's not commonplace yet and I think that the probably shift has been that there used to be these sorts of um really senior architects that were staying at firms for 30 or more years Mm. you know providing that senior mentorship uh in-house but that's not always the case anymore uh and people are needing to seek it elsewhere not just from a student perspective but from a um even people sitting at the associate level like yourself. Yeah, well, I think that's what the Institute had tried to do with the mentor loop as well, is to mm-hmm. have different tiers. So, you know, a, a graduate looking to register or a registered architect looking to go out on their own or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a senior architect looking to link with someone because they're now going to lead a team of 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so... I imagine that within Austin Maynard, you do have some level of um, mentoring happening. How is that facilitated in-house? Is it informal with Andrew and Mark or um, do you sort of have a formalised or informal guidance set up with your graduates that are coming into the firm? Yeah, so um, so I'd say somewhat informal because of the size of the team, but Mm -hmm. um, for a for a number of years um we have a we have a general manager now like kind of dedicated for the last couple of years and um, and before the, before that i would have been the main go to for mm-hmm. new staff kind of onboarding getting them used to the processes to the different people and the way we generally work um and that that still is the case for a lot of the um you know a lot of a lot of our processes because we don't necessarily have everything written down in kind of manual form. It's a little bit more yeah. in a few people's heads. <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to get your head around where everything is. Um, and so, you know, being there so long as well, and uh, naturally is a bit of a, a mentoring role where people will come to find out like, mm-hmm. oh, what project have we done this on or what will I do with this or where we do this kind of thing. Um, but we, we have a bit of a core team that's, been there a little while together now so um getting everybody back in the office is quite an open forum so we kind of mentor each other a little bit um, yeah. and and also with the new grads who are coming through um but try and just yeah mentor not, not even mentor each other but just have that collaboration to keep the office culture the knowledge and to keep it all fresh and moving mm-hmm. yeah um so you mentioned that you've been there a long time. Uh, that's 10 years, is that right? Uh, yeah, nine years. Nine, nine years, years now. Yep. Yeah, I think 10 um, next, next year. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we might be exactly the same. I'm at nine years right now. Oh, um, well. Probably. <laughs> um, so apart from the long service leave, which is coming up, um, <laughs> it's quite unusual for architects to be in a position for nine years. Yeah. Um, what do you think is it is about Austin Maynard that's made you stay and um, did you ever have any 
the thoughts about maybe exploring other things and then, you know, yeah. uh, a divergence of, I suppose, career opportunities there. Yeah, I suppose particularly in the smaller residential world, um, a very common assumed career path is to work in a firm for a few years, get to know how to do it, and then branch out and start doing your own thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and part, part of that uh, process has happened in, in the sense that um, th- that I did in 2018, I did house first and family um, myself, which was a new build. Um, and a, an important juncture, I think, in my career was a very open discussion with Andrew and Mark around that time. So mm-hmm. um, when the house was photographed and um, kind of released, um, just before that, um, Andrew and Mark knew that the project was happening and that, you know, showing them constructions and, and all that, construction drawings. And and they were fine with it as long as it kept separate to Austin Maynard. You know, Monday to Friday was my AMA work and what I was doing on the evenings and weekends was fine with them. Um, but then around the time when the house was finished and went out, they had a, a big conversation about um, about my future, like about mm. um, wanting to open the dialogue and to be able to talk about ways that I could stay at Austin Maynard, fulfill my goals and what I want to do within the company if I wanted and not to, uh, I, I suppose, to shine a light on the assumption that you kind of do a first project and then you kind of take the leap and you just keep doing your own thing. And it was a really frank discussion about, um, you know, what kind of projects I would do, what my responsibility would be, if I would ever want to work flexible, if I would be, um, you know, what my long-term goals were as well. And I think that that clear communication at the time was um, was something that made me uh, really think about what my career goals were, what I valued about being at Austin Maynard and what I wanted to do. and. You know, I'd always worked in smaller bursts. Like Mm -hmm. I always knew I want to stay medium term at Austin Maynard. Like, you know, the next three years, the next three or five years is what I talked about every year. And all of Mm -hmm. a sudden it's, you know, clocked up to nearly 10 and I'm still very happy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I suppose in terms of that frank discussion, I mean, obviously some Mm. of it may be somewhat personal or confidential, um, but what kinds of things and your themes did you talk about in terms of career progression, um, particularly in terms of what the difference might have been between going out on your own versus staying at an established studio like Austin Maynard? Yeah, so there was... There was some um, discussion about the practicalities of mm. going out on your own, which which wasn't news, you know, going through the registration. There's a lot of talk about fees and overheads and, you know, trying mm. to basically go from a designer to a small business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there was part of that discussion. But then there was also um, a real um, open discussion about things like authorship in projects and um, like design responsibility and being open to, um, to, to collaborate and work together. And so there was a questioning of what would, you know, if, 
if an assumed goal is to go off and do your own projects because, for example, you have more authorship or responsibility for the projects, what if you had that at Austin Maynard? You know, do you have mm. that at Austin Maynard? And 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 I I did like there was a lot of um, responsibility and um, you know ownership about the projects already. Mm. So um, it was. Uh, yeah, I think I think dispelling some of the assumptions and trying to think about what what is it that I want out of my work life? You know, what are the benefits of of working together, like working with people that I enjoy working with? You know, the kind of the reputation of us, the Maynard having and the clients coming through that I, I still love. I still mm-hmm. love the new projects coming through, the, you know, new clients coming through. And um, so been able to to um to have my ambitions um fulfilled in the in the place that I'm in um it was a discussion around around that really mm. and to and um to be to recognize that things change too you know I would have been around that time would have been about when I hit 30 as well so you know it, it was also um being conscious that there might be uh, life circumstances changing and you know there might be I don't know family or different ambitions as you kind of move through your career but um, just a reiteration from Austin Maynard of kind of the support and the openness to um, to be part of that journey too together. Yeah I imagine there's a lot of people who are newly registered um sitting within the residential space or even, you know, other sectors as well who are probably feeling that pressure or expectation that they'd be going to start their own practice. Mm. What would your sort of advice be to them in terms yeah. of how to make the decision even? Yeah, how to make it. Well, I think a big thing is um, so much of it's financial <laughs> as well. Like if you're... It, yep. You know, are, are you in a position to be able to to take that leap and cover yourself for however many months you think you do? And do you have the projects currently? Um, and I think also just questioning yourself. Uh, what? Why is it that you want to start your own thing? You know, if you want to start your own projects to get full authorship and um, work on projects independently, then, you know, that, that's fair enough. But if it's possible to do that with um, a different practice or within your own practice, I think it'd be worth considering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having worked in a small team, which I like the size of a small team, but um, even work from home sometimes, I can find it a bit isolating just working by myself. So, mm-hmm. you know, I enjoy having that um, team to bounce ideas off and to um, to just, you know, be around as well day to day. So, um yeah, I'd advise people to uh, have a have a bit of a think about what it is that they that they're looking to achieve, um, and then yeah, the practicalities of it all as well. You know. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's not um, it's not as interesting to talk about the practical things around really starting your own business. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, and the financial backing and the uncertainty. Um, talking, I suppose circling back to the discussion around mental health and well-being mm. you know that can have a huge impact on somebody's you know ability to be happy I suppose 
Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And particularly um, with, with the smaller residential work as well, you're so dependent on external circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, something you get stuck in planning, go to VCAT, um, clients are just put things on pause for a couple of years you know could even yeah. be divorce or something <laughs> yeah to, put a, to shelve a project and um in a practice you're somewhat insulated from it you know because uh, if you if you have so many projects and they all kind of go on go on hold at different times or mm-hmm. some drop off but some come you're able to kind of ride the wave a little bit more but if you've started up on your own because you have one project and that one project goes on hold for you know eight months 12 months never comes back you know you could Mm -hmm. really be um as you say putting yourself under a lot of stress Mm. yeah I suppose one of the reasons a lot of people would look at starting their own practice is also to do with credit I mean you said you have a lot of ownership um, which is really great when it's in-house I imagine that you know, you're also satisfied with the amount of, I suppose, credit and recognition that you're getting um, for the work that you're doing specifically as well? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm very happy. So, you know, credited as project architect on mm-hmm. anything that I've, I've worked on. And mm-hmm. Andrew and Mark are quite keen to, um, to have us all externally, you know, outwardly facing, being a bit more involved and a bit more present mm-hmm. as well. And I think some some of that's to take the burden off them too, you know, yeah. to, for them um, to not have to, to, you know, spread the, the load of of media or interviews or tours of places and mm-hmm. things like that particularly. But then also for the longevity of a firm too, if people yes. are coming to Austin Maynard and they're expecting Austin or Maynard, or, you know, <laughs> sometimes they might be mistaken and think Austin Maynard is one person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but they expect the name on the door to be, yeah. you know, at every meeting to be sending all the emails. It's not how it works. And mm-hmm. um, and people, people know that and people understand it. And when people see the team behind it, um, it's celebrated as an asset because, mm-hmm. because that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and and Andrew and Mark are pretty good at um at kind of giving over that praise and credit as well. Yeah. yeah. Um and then does that flow through from people at your level further down as well? Like what's your philosophy on that when you're um working on something and you may be sort of starting to give over that responsibility and control to somebody that's emerging, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's very important. It's a little bit of kind of passing the torch, I think. Mm-hmm. Um the way we work with our projects is typically one project architect and the two directors are involved as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you'd have a graduate helping um, on specific stages of, of a project or becoming more involved on a specific project and you're kind of guiding them along too. Yes. So in those kind of cases, yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, you're, you're trying to, I, I say me, I'm trying to mm-hmm. support and empower um, graduates in meetings and, you know, support their ideas or give credit to, oh, this is something great that, you know, this person has done or, um, and, and also give credit um, to other team members as well to, to let Andrew and Mark know, oh, this is, you know, these great renders that Danielle did or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. 
and to be able to yeah I think celebrate um people's strengths and to um be able to give a bit of confidence because people did that for me as well when I was Mm -hmm. uh working through you know you know sitting in meetings and clients um being talked through a design and someone and for someone to present like you know for Andrew to say oh that was Ray taught this really cool uh, idea up here it's so um it's so fulfilling yeah so it's really nice to be able to uh, do that for someone else as well yeah particularly on those early projects that you work on you might be just really proud of that one brick or that one tap that you had yeah ownership over that no one else really notices or cares about you know yeah and then when it's built, you're like, that's my tap. Yeah, that's my tap. <laughs> exactly. Do you think um, this sort of attitude to uh, ownership and authorship credit is part of the reason that Austin Maynard has quite good staff retention? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I would say it's it's the main the main thing. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a real focus on on creating the right work environment. Um, I think in Andrew's work-life balance article from you know a decade ago, he talked about mm-hmm. Maslow's hierarchy and oh, getting, right, yeah. needing, needing to get the basics right. And so, you know, paying people well, having good hours, having a decent um, environment, like you need to have those um, in place first. It's kind of a given, mm-hmm. but then, this, the safety needs and, you know, feeling that you have your employer kind of backing you and you have a bit of a pipeline that your job is secure and then having the office culture for that level of belongingness there as well. Um, and then on top of that also starting to get the credit um, and to build your confidence within that firm, you just kind of build your way up that period, uh, up that pyramid. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. And I think as well, you know, if you don't have those basic needs met, things like mm. pay, which, again, it's not the most, um, people don't like talking about pay, but it is so important to somebody's sense of stability, both financially oh. and emotionally. Yeah. Um, if you're you're feeling undervalued and underpaid, you've already got one foot somewhat out the door um, yeah. which means that people are potentially not as engaged in their work do you think yeah. there needs to be more transparency around pay salaries and scales in architecture I think so yes mm-hmm. I do think so um, again to dispel to dispel assumptions too about oh, I need to move to a different career or a different sector to be able to have those discussions um, both ways too, you know, even for an employer to be able to um, be open and say, you know, this is kind of range of where you're at. And we, mm-hmm. um, we make an effort to pay our staff well because we want to have that long-term staff retention. Um, I think that is important mm-hmm. because people, people do know a bit as well. You know, you'd have your close friends and you'd talk, to each other and you'll have a little bit of an idea but um yeah it's it's very important i think to to have those basics and particularly with um with pay because you know it's, it's such a basis of what, mm. why you go to work you know could yeah. be could be doing them um, 
uh, a lot more architecture. Read all those books that I have in my library stand. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it's also, it is a bit of a balance um, for when people are looking to start and do their own thing too, I imagine. You know, if you're um, not really getting getting compensated well and there's the opportunity to take a risk and um, be paid well doing your own thing, it's more of an incentive to take that leap. But if you're really getting looked after where you are, I think that helps uh, the long-term staff retention. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't know the numbers around it, but I imagine um, it's more beneficial to the practice to hold on to the staff and pay them well than it is to have a big turnover of new people coming through. Yeah, I mean, even the amount of time that it takes potentially to train new staff. I know you just said that a lot of the IP is in your head. Yeah, it's, it's in you know, yeah, exactly. your head, but your other... <laughs> Team in our heads in our collective heads um, <laughs> so having to sort of download that on a frequent basis it takes away your time and your ability to uh, do paid work as opposed yeah. to training which is really important as well um, so I suppose that would be a massive benefit yeah yeah I think so and and again because it keeps affecting all of the next levels up as well you know you you have that baseline right mm-hmm. and everybody is contributing to the culture the shared knowledge and and just enjoying being around each other mm-hmm. yeah as much so, as you should in a professional work setting you know <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> i think um i think there needs to be a level of of friendship that is happening in workplaces as well it doesn't need to be that everyone's going out every weekend and spending no. time together, but yeah. a, a collegiacy or something. Yeah, and I think even um, even even just having that empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the at the Archi team um, conference a few years ago, Ben Shrewry, uh, the the Attica head chef, mm-hmm. had talked about. Um, the, the speeches that the staff do, the I think all levels, the chefs, the um, the waiters, they give a bit of a speech on any topic they want um, to the whole staff as a bit of a mm-hmm. briefing. So they might talk about their, I don't know, interest in yeah. a sport or their background or something. And the idea is just building that empathy and teamwork so yeah. that when things are getting tough, you know, that people have their own, have each other's backs. And there's yeah. a little bit of a sense of that in a small practice as well. Yeah, that's interesting. We actually do that at um, my studio. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've had presentations on all sorts of things from literally grass, which was a bit of an inside yeah. joke, <laughs> all the way to somebody's AFL interest. And I think it does create that sense of empathy and builds. Yeah you know, um, a teamwork mindset that's really been quite valuable for us. Oh, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. That's, I'd say it's just, um, you'd be so curious about it. You're like, oh, I wonder, I can't yeah. wait for this person to tell us about whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> it does. What into. You get quite excited about the presentations as they're coming up. And um, one of the other things with it is that it does actually build people's presentation skills and confidence. Yeah, exactly. Mm particularly at your junior staff. So um, Austin Maynard has quite a good workplace culture. Um, Mm. There's obviously some firms and studios that are striving to have that same reputation and real presence in-house, but they're not quite getting there. What would your recommendation be 
to management of other architectural practices? Um, I think it would be, uh, it's very basic, but it's centered around communication. Mm. Um, so I think that if, if staff know what the kind of, um, what the, what the struggles of, of management are, what they're trying to, um, what they're trying to do, if you have that dialogue open, you know, at the heart of it, really, I think that management and staff are aligned in wanting to do good work and to do it in a nice work environment. So you would, in a very come down um, way, you would think that they would, if each party were kind of talking to each other and were really open, felt Mm -hmm. open, felt supported, that you would um, be able to get closer to achieving that. You know, if you're open to feedback, if you feel the support um, that you could, uh, yeah, ha- create that environment. And I think it works both ways too. I think it's um, it's an important part of, I, I feel as an employee, like an important part of what I do is contributing to the culture. It's not just a work culture that comes from the people whose name is on the door. It comes from uh, from me, from my other peers as well, from, you know, how we want to um, tell each other about solar systems, solar panel systems, or mm-hmm. how we want to, um, you know, talk about some other idea or, or just support each other and to create an environment that we want to be in. I think we all have a responsibility to, um, to add to that. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned the challenges of management. I think often the um, the story, and you may have experienced this as well, is that as you're moving up within the same practice, you're getting more and more transparency around what the person who was your manager was mm. doing that you weren't privy to. Um, often that gives you a lot more empathy looking back on some of the things that you might have been frustrated with at the time. Um do you think that's part of that two-way communication? If you knew more about what they were facing, you'd be more likely to not cut them slack, but uh, work together. Yeah, I think so. Um, because, like, we talk about it um, in the office when we're talking a, a way to talk about deadlines, for example. Um, you know, we would talk about uh, needing to to hit a certain stage of detail design or a certain stage of documentation that month, because, you know, it's we need to bill a certain amount to be able to cover all of the wages. So, mm. you know, that, that's the kind of framing of the discussion for something like a, a deadline for a preliminary documentation set. It's an open dialogue um, to, to explain that it's not just we want you to do this as quick as possible and do it now. It's um, a bit more of the reasoning behind it. Um, and I know it's not necessarily the way every firm would operate is to be mm-hmm. too transparent and to say we need X amount of dollars in to cover this. But um, I think, you know, conceptually to have an idea of, oh, that's why there's this deadline or that's why there's kind of these rules are encouraged or that's why we all try to be in at this time. Um, mm. You kind of have a yeah, shared basis on what you're doing. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
So I suppose on the flip side of that question, Mm. what would your advice be to new graduates that are looking for their first job and what would sort of the red or green flags be as you're going through kind of like the interview phase or even researching other companies? Yeah, um, that's a that's a tricky one. I haven't done an interview for about 10 years now. Yeah, <laughs> but I suppose you've got a, but, um, a interpretation of what's working well at Austin Maynard and what might yeah. be the kind of clues that people could look for yeah, that I, speak to I, good culture. Yeah, I, I think a lot of what we've been talking about today as, you know, Austin Maynard being somewhere good to work or a firm being somewhere to good, good mm. to work is the work-life balance. Um, I think you would need to get a bit of background information on the firm if you could. If you could reach out to people who work there or used to work there or, you know, what you perceive like work in similar, um, similar firms. I think getting an understanding of what the hours are like, what the weekend work, if any, is like, mm-hmm. how many projects you're on, what kind of teams are on. And, and you can also do that in the interview as you know, very um, considered questions. You know, when, if people ask, do you have any questions? You know, if you're really have, uh, you're really curious about how places work, if people are um, proud of, of their work culture, I'm sure they'd be happy to talk about it and kind of sell themselves on it a bit too. And, you know, if there's, um, if they just refer to your, your agreement that says, you know, you work X hours plus as many as necessary, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bit of a red flag there, yeah. but, um, uh, but also, um, I think you'd need to be uh, as a graduate you need to be careful. Um, also with your, with your expectations as well, uh, not, not be careful with your expectations, sorry. I mean, be open with your um, expectations too. So you might think, oh, I want to work on, in a large practice, I want to work on someone that does schools. I want to work in a small practice that does houses. I think just talk to people to find out um, what, the, what the day-to-day is like is, is the best way to go about it. You know, my brother works in a larger commercial firm and worked on data centers and things like that. And honestly, it feels like a different profession. So, you know, if I was landed in an interview looking for um, a different role, um, I would really want to be learning as much as I can about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you, even if you're looking for your first job, I remember when I looked for my first job, it was hard to kind of get in there and it was open to doing a big range of things. And you know, I was open to, to learning a bit more about, you know, if it's going to work in a large firm or a small firm, I kind of landed in a small firm doing residential work as I did. But um, if I landed in a large firm and didn't like it after six months or whatever, um, I think you, you learn a little bit more about what your niche area is. Mm, yeah. So I suppose on that, the two firms that you worked prior, were they mm. both residential as well? Yeah, they were they were both residential firms, um, five people um working on yeah, actually both husband and wife firms as well. So okay. yeah, the yeah. the directors were a partnership. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so similar scale. Similar scale. Mm-hmm. Although although the work in New York was very different. And I didn't um 
it was very different compared to the work I was doing here. So there was a lot more work in like refurbishment of mm-hmm. um, properties that were, you know, held and um, maintained by real estate companies as well. So yeah. it's kind of refurb and flipping projects quite quickly, which mm-hmm. not as enjoyable as the, you know, the forever homes that I'm working on now. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, so I suppose in closing, do you have any last thoughts or things that you'd want to say to people uh, before we end? Uh, not, nothing profound to say <laughs> at the end of this. Um, I, I feel, yeah, very fortunate to have found a career in architecture and be working working on my own career in a way that I'm trying to find a balance with, you know, my other hobbies and activities as well, my family and friend relationships and work-life balance. And I think being able to find that balance in your life to be able to give to your work and the other way around um, is something that I find really fulfilling. So, you know, I hope everyone else, all the listeners out there uh, can get that same fulfillment. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ray. It's been a delight talking to you. And um, yeah, thank you so much for giving us your time. Thanks, Nicole. This has been Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to our guest, registered architect and associate at Austin Maynard Architects, Ray Din. Thank you so much for talking about the office culture at AMA. It sounds like one of the best places to work and a worthy winner of the Design Architecture Studio of the Year 2022. We look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Our sponsor Brickworks also produce architecture podcasts hosted by Tim Ross. You can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favourite podcast platform. And also, if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. We did notice recently that we've only got one rating on the Apple podcast platform, so we'd really love to know uh, how we're doing and if you think this podcast is worth a listen. So please give us a rating and a review. It all contributes to the potential of the podcast to go on. So please give us a review. It really helps us out. Uh, If you'd also like to know more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy. And the Imagine production team was Nicole Eady and Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.